All right. Happy, what, Tuesday, everybody. This is another special episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology, cutting through the fluff, and getting the questions answered you need answered. This is a little bit of a weird one for me. I am not, in, in 12 months of doing this, I have not done this by myself. So uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, we're going to get started here. I am, I actually debated whether I was going to do the icebreaker question. I almost scrapped it and thought, let's just jump to business. But then again, I thought, you know what? We like to have fun on the show. That is the goal. So I will actually open with that. Um, but definitely one thing I want to get out of the way before we get into it is I really want this to be a interactive session. So I've got the comments up. I would encourage people to ask questions along the way, planning on sharing with you my insights over the last 12 months of learning tech talks. And I, I can hardly believe it's already been a year uh, with 12 months and 63 episodes later. So, but let's get into that. And I actually, you know what? I even forgot my celebratory GIF, but there it is. That is how excited I am. Just like this guy right there. There we go. Okay, so the, the icebreaker question, and just like usual, everybody can play along in the comments. So uh, my question for everybody who is watching or tuning in, is comment on what's one of your personal style quirks. So I won't sit and wait for answers, but I am actually gonna be watching them because I'm looking forward to hearing this. And uh, so mine is, and just so everybody knows, I have this habit where when I find shirts that I like, I tend to buy a bunch of them, right? So if, you, if you've been in meetings with me, if you know me well, you might look and be like, does he not change his clothes? And the answer to that is yes, I do. My wife would never let me get away get away with not changing my shirt. So uh, including this one, I have several of these. So anyway, that's my that's my personal style quirk. Um, I think that's that's all I've got. Hey everybody, thanks for thanks for joining me. Well, let's get into it. Uh, believe it or not, I prepared slides for today's session. So I will do my best to not just have slides on the whole time, but I'm going to talk through some of the trends, some of the things that I've seen. The other thing I want to highlight is this is a little bit of a different trend session. <clears throat> And that the goal of this is not just to establish trends based on the categories of the technology, but to focus more on the actual capabilities of the tech and actually talk about the problems that it can solve. So that's again goes back to again goes back to why I'm hoping people I know, sorry, Lee, sorry, yes, I only had one icebreaker question. <laughs> um, but anyway. Uh, as we get into it, you know, I want people to be able to share some of their thoughts as well, and I'll answer questions along the way uh, as we go. So I do have some things to go in here, and so I'm going to pull this up uh, and talk to this. So fancy dancy slides, but as I was looking at the tech spectrum, and again, I've had three, 63 episodes live. That does not even remotely cover how many conversations that I've had with some of these tech providers. So there have been a lot more of that. But one of the things that's been interesting is as I've looked at the different tech capabilities, the different categories of tech, whether we're talking about LMSs, LXPs, LRSs, all this stuff, I'm seeing this trend that they're starting to fall into one of three categories or somewhere in between. So when I look at the actual modern learning tech solution spectrum. I actually kind of represent it as this. And, and when I look at this, you know, I'm seeing this as 
There's this performance enablement and operational efficiency category, which I would say is very much close to where we're seeing things about, you know, in the flow of work, how are we greasing the skids? How are we just enabling people to move faster and get things done? That, that's the category I would see there. Further, I, on, the, on the other side, you'll see, I see this skill development and mobility. This has been one that I have seen rocket up, up the charts uh, as time has gone by. Uh, you know, there really is this heavy emphasis on skill. I think COVID dramatically impacted the emphasis on how are we developing, managing skills. And I'm going to talk a little bit about where I'm seeing some strengths and opportunities in that. Uh, and then the other one is some may call it a squishy category. I don't know that I think I would call it squishy, but when we talk about organizational culture and employee well-being, these are those maybe not quite so easy to quantify or nail down a hard ROI or metric around so much as we know that there is a lot to be said about organizational success based on culture and how we take care of our employees and what are we doing to make our employees feel invested in and feel good about things. And so when I look at this spectrum, I could probably place every conversation I've had somewhere in this modern Venn diagram, if you will. So just to give some, and I'm going to be very careful not to mention vendors because the goal of this is not to necessarily say, well, these vendors are here. That's not the goal. The goal is to say, this is where the tech is going and what problems is it trying to solve? So when I look at this, if I look up at performance enablement and operational efficiency, something that would go way up to the top of that, to me would be something that I would see with the HoloLens too, right? If we look at what Microsoft is doing with, with augmented reality or, or any other augmented reality provider, where you're really just providing that real-time support to be able to get somebody to move from point A to point B as quickly as possible. We aren't necessarily really concerned whether they're building that skill we're not necessarily concerned if it makes them feel better about their job or their work, um, things like that. that. That would be one that I would put way up in that category. On the skill visibility development, things like that, those would be where I would see some very, you know, if we want to go way indexed out on that, I would say some of the point solutions that are very targeted in behavior change or skill development. Uh, and I'm not just talking content. I've seen a number of point solutions that are really designed to say, hey, I'm trying to get this person to build this skill or capability, almost like a micro-credential, if you will. Uh, to me, that would fall on that hard end of the spectrum towards skill visibility and development. And then on the other side, you've got these organizational culture and well-being. And, and I'm seeing more of these mental health. Um, again, this is where DE&I solutions a lot of times fall into in some ways. Uh, you know, you want to talk about culture maps, things like that where we're seeing we can't necessarily say, hey, this is the exact performance metric it's connected to the business outcome, or this is the exact skill, but we know it's important to the organization. And I, I highlight these three because one of the things that I see with this is a lot of times I'm seeing a lot of debate around which one's right or which one's better. And Adam, good question. So when I say point solution, right? So my, my clarification on point solution, as I looked, as I've looked at the tech over the last year, there are some big platforms and technologies that are designed to do a lot of things, right? They have a lot of different capabilities. Um, they, they may have a lot of different functionality. They're designed to be a little bit more of a jack jackknife. Uh, when I talk about a point solution, I'm talking about a piece of tech or something that's out there that is 
It is very targeted. It is very directed. And I'm seeing more and more of those solutions start to bubble up as people are having very specific problems. So hopefully that gives you some clarity on that one. Now, again, I will say I don't think I've seen a single piece of tech that falls only in one of these. And so, Lee, to your point about the overlap, right? The overlap that I'm showing is not representative to me of how much overlap there is in this. And I think this adds to some of the confusion and complexity around what we're seeing in the space right now. The fact that, you know, there are a lot of things that probably would fall somewhere, you know, in this range, right? If we're, if we're looking at it, some of these bigger, you know, I, I, again, I'm very careful with the categories, but if you look at some of the LXPs or the talent marketplaces that really are trying to drive performance through skills while at the same time building kind of an organizational culture with, with things like that, you're, you're going to see things over here. Adam, to your question about point solutions, that's where you're going to see things starting to gravitate out towards these ends. And again, I, I personally, my assessment has been there isn't a right or a wrong answer so much as what are these big challenges that you're trying to solve within your organization? If you're a if you're an enterprise L&D or HR leader, you're probably looking for solutions gravitating more in here, things that are going to be able to pull things together for you. If you're a you know business line learning leader who may be trying to solve sales, uh, you know, sales conversation solutions, things like that. You may be over here in the skill visibility. If you're in the service industry or service engineering type thing, and you're actually supporting your field engineers on repair, you may gravitate towards some solutions up here. So again, less of a, which is better, which is good, more of what are you trying to solve and, and where do you need to solve that? And again, I, I see a lot of things falling into this middle ground. Um, on as we're talking about that, Adam, really good question. You know, do I think the big platforms are trying to be too too hard to be everywhere to everyone? It's a really good question, um, and I, and I'll answer it like I answer a lot of things, which is I think it depends a little bit, right? Uh, you know, naturally the bigger players I do see starting to absorb some of the capability. At a general level, and I think Annie, I saw you joined you joined me uh, last Friday, and so I'm going to shout out kind of what we talked about with Edcast last Friday, which was one of the things that was unique is some of this skill capability that the bigger players like Edcast are moving into is it's getting them there. Is it quite as far as a, a technical? you know, big horsepower product that specializes in that? Probably not. And actually, when I was doing the Global HR Summit, I was talking with Vineet from Teams, and we were talking about, you know, what's going on with Microsoft between LinkedIn and, and Teams and things like that. And we had a really open dialogue about the fact that their goal, their venture is not necessarily to consume all of the point solutions and, and be the one solution to serve them all. So I think that is one thing that I, again, it's it's a trend I actually technically didn't address in the content that I had, but I would say that is a trend that I am seeing with some of the bigger players is recognizing that when you try and be everything to everybody, you struggle to be really good at, at any one thing. And so I am seeing some of the bigger players starting to say, hey, you know, we, we're open to working with these point solutions. In fact, when I talked with Bongo, you know, they they specialized in video workflow and the, the strategy they have is about bringing that capability into some of the bigger players. So while we may on the outside be looking at this saying, wow, the ecosystem's simplifying, 
I think the trend that I'm actually seeing grow and that I think we're going to continue to see grow is some of these point solutions perhaps having their capabilities brought in while still kind of remaining where they are into some of the bigger players. I still think there's lots of room for point solutions for those unique things where you say, look, we, we don't need to have this at the enterprise level for everyone. There are specific functional use cases where we may need to use it. So again, um, I don't know that I, I would say I'm actually seeing a trend where the big ones are trying to be everything to everyone. I think they are trying to address that bridge gap um, without actually over overstepping it. Okay, so that again, that is my take on how I'm seeing the the spectrum of this. I, I decided to go this route with the Venn diagram versus the traditional, you know, these are the different categories of technology because from my perspective, when I look at those categories, I don't think they necessarily fully flesh out how you can leverage that tech and, and what it can do uh, for, for you as an organization. So that is the new spectrum. And again, you can ask questions along the way. I promise I'll, I'm, I'm watching them and I will do my best to incorporate as we go. So let me, let me jump to this, right? So that if that's where the categories are and that's where everybody's kind of gravitating, then what are some of the leading advancements that I've seen? As I look at, you know, as I'm talking to all these different companies, all these different things and all these different new investments in tech, there were five that bubbled up and I was very careful to not map this in any sort of priority order, because I, I don't know that I really could, even if I tried, because of how I'm seeing it being used. Now, I'm going to give some additional color around what each one of these things means, uh, as well as define kind of where I'm seeing this growth. So one of the ones, the first one, and again, not in any particular order, was I've seen tremendous movement in personalization, uh, right? And what I mean by personalization is the tech is getting really good at understanding who those end users are and what they actually need. And that's coming, I would say, a lot from machine learning, but we're getting a lot more data points. We're actually pulling in a lot more solutions to kind of help feed feed the machine, if you will, on what does, what does Christopher need. He's doing this right now. He needs this kind of support. Things like that. We're seeing it with content. Content is more personalized to roles, to where people are in a system. This is where uh, learning in the flow of work or learning close to the flow of work, if you will, is coming in because we're integrating in with the solutions that people are using for their day-to-day -day work. And so I think this personalization is very diverse. I don't think, I, I sometimes hear personalization used in kind of this singular format, like, well, it's it's creating custom paths for people. And to me, that's that's a little bit too narrow for what I would say for personalization. But to me, I've seen this rocket massively. And the tech capability behind it is really what's behind this. So personalization is one that I've seen tremendous advancements in. Another big one is user experience. And I'm going to break this down into two parts because I think naturally we gravitate when we hear user experience as the end user experience, the learner experience. But I would also add another category into user experience. And I have seen over the last 12 months tremendous effort put into the simplification of user experience for subject matter experts, for administrators, right? This is a growing trend of how do we make this easier? And actually that is largely being powered, I think, by the tech, right? The tech is now able to, which we'll get to here in a minute, do some things automatically that we haven't historically been able to do. And so that user experience, not just from a look and feel, but I can't overlook the look and feel. As I look at platforms today, 
there is a much more intentional focus on designing experiences that, you know, yes, they're pleasing to the eye, but two, they're easier to navigate. Uh, a lot of the fluff and, and kind of bulk has been pulled out of that. So we've really simplified that down. And, and again, I think, you know, as we're, if you're looking at tech right now, one thing that you have to be looking at from a user experience and have a higher expectation on is not only that end learner user experience, but also what is it like for an admin, somebody that has to administrate this tech you know what the truth of the matter is the tech now can make it easy for them and so if you're still struggling with this is really clunky or this just really doesn't work you, you we need to push we need to push for more because the tech is there so that's the second one right personalization the user experience the other one is automation and and i think this is a really important one i actually kicked off 2020 on this topic and was talking about this and you'll see this when we get to the next one but as you look to the tech, a lot of the mundane tasks that we we have historically done can now be automated in the system. And that's that's largely leading to some of this personalization, right? Going back to what machine learning is doing for us in automating this curation, automating some of the tasks. Uh, David James talks a lot about this with what they're doing with, with their marketing capability in Loop. Uh, you know, the ability to automate communications, automate campaigns, automate things like that, that we historically have spent a lot of time, quite frankly, doing. And I will say the one thing that I'm seeing with this that may be resulting in a little bit slower of adoption than I think there could be is this is creating some fear, right? There's a little bit of fear around, well, what does this mean for us? If things are being automated, if you know my job used to be to do all these tasks and now the platforms can just do them by themselves. Where does that leave me? And I think we need to take a little bit of a shift from that, especially when you see kind of the opportunities that I think are coming from learning tech to say, hey, this automation stuff is freeing us up from the tasks that we were spending a lot of time on that really weren't adding a ton of value. So now it's taking that away from us so that we can focus on some of these higher order activities. But right now, I would say baseline automation is becoming a little more mainstream. And I'll, and I'll talk about the opportunities in this one specifically a little bit later. Skill management. And you'll see I'm actually differentiating between skill management and skill development here. Uh, and that's intentional. Like I said on the ecosystem piece, the skill management and visibility to me is becoming a massive part of the Venn diagram. Uh, this has, again, I think largely been an accelerant by COVID or COVID's been an accelerant. I don't necessarily think it caused it, but it has been an accelerant as we've started to move towards, hey, you know, COVID forced us. We've been talking about the fact we needed to reskill for a long time. That's not new, but I think what COVID did is it forced us to have to take action. And the tech has, I think, led the way in that. If you look at some of the talent marketplaces out there, if you're looking at even you know LMSs, LXPs, some of these other just you know basic uh, learning technology, a lot of them are starting to focus on skill management. And what I mean by skill management is having some visibility into what do people know, right? And, and again, this ties back to personalization and automation. We have more data around what do people know, what do they not know, what do they need to be able to grow in those areas. And so we're seeing some tremendous growth. I've seen tremendous growth in the last 12 months around the tech's capability 
to actually manage that skill. And what I would say with this, that's extremely important, especially for HR leaders is this is really the skill to me is starting to push us and break down the silo of learning and development, right? This, this focus on skills is actually forcing us to think outside of learning and development and tap into the broader talent management spectrum to say, okay, if we are going to be responsible for managing skills, developing skills, growing skills, we need to think more holistically than just what data points we have. Not that our data points are bad, but they're incomplete. And this is where I'm seeing some major advancements in skill management is where and how are we pulling this up? Where are we pulling it from and how are we pulling it together? So we have a more complete picture of our workforce. So tremendous growth there in the last 12 months. In fact, I've seen a number of, uh, I actually commented on this the other day. I've seen a number of platforms go from kind of quiet little startups to mainstream big powerhouses I won't say overnight, but seemingly overnight in some ways because of the growth in this. So that is a that is number four. And number five is immersive experiences and support. I have seen massive, massive improvements in the tech around. And when I'm talking about immersive experiences and support, I'm talking about extended reality, which encompasses all things from augmented reality, mixed reality, and virtual reality. Anything along that spectrum, any of the realities, uh, I'm seeing this growing very quickly from a capability standpoint. And I'm going to actually differentiate on the capability standpoint in two ways. First of all, one, there's been massive advancements from a software standpoint. Right. So if you if you if you were exploring VR or AR years ago, there were reasons it didn't necessarily get the adoption that we needed. It was not necessarily the most cost effective. It was not necessarily the easiest to scale up. Uh, and, and it was not necessarily the best user experience, if you will. Uh, and so that has changed. Right. That has changed a lot. So if you look at some of these new augmented reality experiences, if you look at virtual experiences, if you look at the way we can now support people, the software has come a long ways in 12 months. And now with COVID, that has only poured gas on that fire. Right. There's a lot more money going into this space. There's a lot more advancement going into this space. I think we're going to see a lot more players popping up on this spectrum around immersive experience and support. But the other piece, and I have not actually seen very much talk about this that I think we're going to have to become much more familiar with is, is around the hardware. Okay. And, you know, these immersive experiences, historically, we've been limited. And I think especially around VR, great question, Annie, I'll actually answer that here in a second. Um, when I think about immersive experiences, the hardware has been somewhat restrictive. Now, with the exception of AR that you could you could do with your phone, right? That that we've had the capability for a while. But when we thought about the headgear, anything wearable, it became a little bit harder to do. And I've seen that rapidly accelerate. In VR, I think Oculus has done some really interesting things to democratize that. The Oculus 2 is coming out. Uh, or it's it's out. That's going to make a big difference. HP is getting into the space. So hardware is going to enable immersive experience. And, and again, the tech has matured tremendously in this area. So again, if I were to kind of over, over assess, hey, here, what are 12 months? What are the big five that I think jump up? Those would be the five. But I'm going to take some follow-up questions on this because 
What I will say is these are still at the 50,000 foot view. So Annie, your question about adaptive learning, it's a really good one. And I actually kind of debated, you know, do I include that as a tech advancement? But to me, I saw adaptive learning as more of a functionality than an actual advancement in the tech. When I look at adaptive learning, right, to me, that is a transformation that is caused by these leading tech advancements. So if I look at personalization, that is massive around adaptive learning, right? But the machine learning behind that, and again, it depends on how you're defining adaptive. Are you talking about adaptive, like a adaptive experience for a piece of content? Or are you talking about adaptive, like an LXP that's kind of adapting your, your career journey around that? But either way, I would put that into a mix of these. Personalization being a big one. To me, adaptive learning is a huge capability that is actually allowing personalization at potentially the highest level we've ever been able to achieve, right? You as an individual now can have a completely personalized, right? And that's what adaptive is doing. It is personalizing that experience by saying, you know this, I know this about you. I know this information about you. And based on your response, based on your emotional state, even I am going to change your experience based on this in real time. So yes, I would say adaptive learning to me is one of the most exciting capabilities or trends. I think it largely then ties back to the advancement in what we've been able to do around personalization. I think the other one that it ties to is user experience, right? When I look at that and the fact that that is the ultimate in user experience, adaptive learning is getting us to that point where this experience is completely personalized to me. That is, that is the ultimate. And again, it's powered by automation. Personalization, we've tried for a long time to do it, manually, it is near impossible, right? And to me, that is where, you know, I think there's sometimes some hesitation around accepting the tech. I think it's important that we do not because it's coming for our jobs or it's doing anything like that, but it's actually empowering and enabling us to do things we physically could not do before. So hopefully that answers your question, Annie, about, you know, where adaptive learning fits in, because I absolutely agree that that capability has dramatically um, change things for things. Um, all right. Uh, let's see here. So Adam, your question, let's see this. Has the improvement in tech had a correlation in developing more business centered use cases? I would say that's somewhat still, does it create the potential for it? I would say absolutely. Now more than ever, we have the potential to have a business discussion around what we're doing in learning and development. So the tech, I would say, absolutely has enabled it to happen. I still see a fair amount of opportunity for us to capitalize on that capability. I think we're, we're still in a little bit of a journey. We got a little bit shell-shocked by what happened in 2020. Many of us were playing catch-up to try and get caught up a little bit on things. And so I don't know that everybody is quite leveraging the full potential of what this tech can do for them. But to your question, yes, it absolutely can, um, you know, things like that. Another question from Adam, I, I will address here, you know, has there been any NLP capability used uh, with that? And actually, I'm going to, I might actually save this one. Actually, you know what? I don't think I, I don't think I included this one in here. This is actually an interesting one. Um, when I look at NLP and again, natural language processing, for those of you who may not be familiar is right. It's 
in simple terms, it's being able to analyze text, voice, things like that, and then be able to actually process it and do something with it. I will say, I still feel like this is an opportunity area. And I, I actually probably should have included it in my opportunities where I'm going to go next, but I'll talk a little bit more about what that is. I do think it is being tied into, and some of the things that I'm seeing, it is certainly being looped into what's happening with machine learning. I think there's a lot still to come with that. All right. Uh, Toby, let's see. Would you agree general L&D generally needs to become more tech savvy than we are and maybe even go towards IT? Really good question. And I think this is one that may make some people a little bit uncomfortable, but hopefully I can, I can answer this in a way that helps make you feel better about it. I would say yes, but I don't think that's limited to L&D, right? Our, our need to understand the fundamental capability of tech, how tech works and what that potential is, absolutely. But again, I don't think that's limited to L&D. I think if you're in ops, if you're in finance, if you're in marketing, if you're in, right, the, the comfort with how technology works and the comfort with understanding the data behind it is becoming, in my opinion, a baseline skill just across the board. Does that mean we have to gravitate further towards IT? I don't think so. I do not think that that we need to take it that far. Um, when I look at when I look at what's happening with technology, you know, I'm I, I'm probably more technical than some people, but I I'm not a I'm not a coder. I can't code Python things like that, and I don't think we need to go that far, right? Do we need to start understanding things like system architecture? Do we need to start understanding, you know, how AI works, what the different capabilities are, how we can be applying tech in different ways? I would say fundamentally, yes. I think for senior leaders in organizations, I think we can bring that capability into our team. We don't necessarily need to be the experts on that. But yeah, I do think the degree of tech savviness has absolutely bumped up. And I think part of the reason 2020 was such a hard year for many of us in the field was the fact that that level of tech savviness wasn't where it needed to be. And so when 2020 came and all of a sudden the need to understand tech, understand digital, understand virtual and just accelerate it, right? It, it was it was a tough year. So um, hopefully that answers your question, Toby. Uh, let's see, you got another one for me? All right. What would you recommend to start on the technology? Understanding things like APIs are more basic than that. You know, if you're just getting started on this, um, I think at a baseline, even some of the fundamentals, you know, there are some really good courses out there. And again, I'm usually not even an advocate for courses, but there are some basic, you know, I even think of Harvard CS50, on, on edX uh, that just helps people understand the fundamentals of how computer science works, right? Some of these things that just help you understand the way systems work, the way they interact with each other, the fundamentals of what they can do and can't do. Uh, I also think it's worthwhile for people to, you know, start to gain an understanding of what AI is and what the capabilities are. It's a big kind of buzzword. So I don't necessarily know people need to jump into JavaScript, APIs, things like that, at least at the leadership level. I think at the, <laughs> you're asking for a friend. Okay. You know, I think at the designer developer level, this is one thing I look at these tech advancements specifically, and I'm actually going to point out a use case here, right? Immersive experiences and support for any of the designers and developers who may be watching this thinking like, what does this mean for us? 
you know, this could feel a little scary, especially when I get to the greatest opportunity areas. There's an opportunity, I think, for some of the the developers and designers in the space to actually leapfrog ahead of, of some of their peers in that as immersive experience and support grows, if you are technical or you have a desire to be technical, you can start designing in, in things like Unity or things like that. You can start learning these because I really believe we're going to move into an experience age that we haven't been able to move into. And so while content's not going to go away or kind of the traditional things we've done aren't going away, there is going to be this new category of experience design. And we've talked about experience design for a while, but I would say we've been doing more content experience design than true experience design. And I think we're actually going to be able to move into the true experience architecture age. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of one area where, yes, if you're designing Unity experiences, you're going to actually need to understand how to develop, how to use those capabilities more than if you're at the you know director VP level and you're overseeing things there, I would say, Hey, it's good for you to understand system architecture, things like that. You don't necessarily need to go into the weeds at this point. Okay. So I will keep answering questions along the way, but I, the next thing I want to do is jump into some of the opportunities that I'm still seeing in the space that I think you know, if, if you're a provider out there, hopefully you're you're hearing this and saying, hey, okay, maybe we could do something with this, is as I look at the tech opportunities themselves, these are things where I've said the tech I don't think is quite reaching its, its potential yet. We can push this harder, right? Much, much, much harder. So the first one that I'm going to hit on is data insights. As we've moved, and, and honestly, one of the things I've been most excited about with, with technology is the insights we're able to get out of things that we weren't historically able to get before, right? We're actually able to see what are people doing? How long are they spending on things? Where are they going after they do things, right? We can start to track these patterns of behavior. That has naturally grown as a capability with the tech, Okay. That, that's just kind of, come, it's come along for the ride, if you will. The, the tech has matured. As a result, the data that tech has created has matured. A gap that I'm still seeing that I think there's tremendous opportunity for this to grow is in insights on what that data is telling us. Can we, can the tech do more to help inform us, not to take over on the decisions? I, I, I don't, I, I'm a big advocate that we still need humans in the loop on a lot of this stuff. Uh, but actually pulling some of those insights from the data automatically, right, for us and saying, hey, right, the tech's looking at all this stuff. We have all this massive data. I'm not seeing a lot kind of capitalizing on the opportunity to say, hey, rather than you have to scout, you know, go through all this data, scour through all this data and try and come up with your own insights, let's automate that for you. Let's, let's actually create insights for you and help us as an industry be able to make data-driven decisions off of some of this. Yes, Jennifer, to your point, more of the data storytelling. I, I'm not seeing, I still see this as a big opportunity area for the tech to kind of come in and say, hey, how can you help us tell more data-driven stories? Rather than us looking at the data and trying to make our assessments, use our own things, right, to try and figure it out, how can the tech actually enable that? And that's one area that I think there's still a lot of opportunity. I think this is an area that um, hopefully, hopefully, I think we should see growth. I think this will be something that if we see growth in this area, it is going to significantly grow 
our ability to play that role of a strategic partner in those business conversations. So that is one that I still see as a bit of a hole. I think there's definitely some opportunity there. I told you before that on the previous slide, um, I said skill management, right? I see this is a huge advancement. I've seen major advancements in the actual management of skill data, of skill mapping, of pulling in different data points and creating a holistic picture around a person. I still feel like skill development is a gap. Uh, I was actually talking to Taylor Blake, I think last week about this and talking about the fact that we've gone through this trend to kind of compress learning into these tiny, 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 tiny bite-sized pieces. And, and in some ways that's been very good. I think the challenge that's opened and why this is still an opportunity is in that shift, we've overlooked the fact that Developing skills is a lot of work and it doesn't happen by watching 30 second clips of things, right? That's just not the way people actually build these really hard, challenging skills. That takes time. It takes work. It takes practice. It takes effort, right? And this is one of the things that in some ways I think our, our natural tendency to gravitate towards content has led to us thinking, hey, we've solved the skill challenge because the tech now can give us visibility and it can personalize content and it can push all this stuff out, but we still have this big hole in, okay, but what are we doing to actually have people put these skills into practice? Because we've got a little bit of a Dunning-Kruger effect that we've created where everybody thinks they know and they're really good at this stuff because they've, they've consumed a lot of content, they've done a lot of things, they've talked a lot about it but they may never have actually put these things into practice. And so this to me is still an opportunity area. I'm seeing some emerging tech that is really, going back to my comment earlier about point solutions, I am seeing some emerging point solutions that are really laser focused on how do we grow skills measurably. Like if we need Christopher to be better at facilitating live streams and that means he needs to stop doing this or get better at doing this, how do we actually drive that and measure it and make sure that that's actually happening? I think this is an opportunity area. I think we're going to see some tech come out that's going to, to take this to the next level. But again, I, I still am not seeing this get the attention that it needs. I think it was a little bit of a check the box exercise, and that's a general overstatement, but that it was like, hey, great. We now know skills. We now have done you know kind of recommendations and personalized things for skills. We did it. And I don't know that we've really got where we need to. And I think we're going to see that as the next coming years come up, as people start going, well, wait a minute, we, we thought we upskilled. People still aren't quite where we need them to be. And I think this is that gap that has the potential to lead us to that. So again, not a negative so much as I think this is an opportunity area for tech to help us do a better job of actually developing skills. Automation. It was one of my greatest advancements. It's also one of my greatest opportunities as I look at the capabilities of the tech. Um, so again, what I said before was we're seeing automation come up big time in its ability to automate basic tasks. Hang on, my, uh, my coffee has arrived. Come here. Thank you. Can you say hi? Nope, okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So on the automation one, right? What I said with that was automation has grown tremendously uh, with, with the basic tasks. So if you look at, you know, messages, if you look at uh, yeah, 
how personal is how content's being curated, things like that. We, we've made some really good advancements. I personally feel like we are only scratching the surface at this point, right? I had one conversation with someone this week uh, where you know they are making some big advancements with automation to the point where you could really say, hey, I need this. And it's very specific and it can craft an entire learning experience. How many days do you want it? How much content? How, how deep do you want it to go? And like, boom, it curates it all together. This is the one that as this advances, I can see our industry getting a little bit nervous. And that was even my feedback to this individual was if you come out of the gate saying, we've got AI to a point where it can do higher order work and, and <laughs> it, it, it can feel like it's taking over what we're doing. Again, going back to what I said before, to me, it's not taking over. It's allowing us to scale this. But I think there is still tremendous opportunity when I look at automation <coughs> for this, for the tech to be automating more of our higher order things, whether it's, you know, how are we identifying problems? And I think this could tie back into data insights, things like that um, along the way. I think the way we even create content, the first episode I had this year was of a machine that could actually put together a storyline course, a very nice one at that, right? With the push of a button, all we had to do was fill out a template and bam, it slapped it together. So I think when I think about that, that's, that's where I think there continues to be some opportunity in automation is to take it to the next level, to automate. We're still spending a lot of our time on some of these tasks that I don't know are the best use of our time and, and skills. Um, so I'm going to, I saw another question come in. I will answer that, but I'm going to pop through these two. The last one is virtual, no, second to last is virtual experiences. This is one that I don't think should be a tech opportunity, but it is. And 2020 really exposed how much of an opportunity this area is, right? And so I'm very specific on virtual experiences. I'm not talking about extended or virtual reality. I'm talking about this, right? What we're doing right now, um, you know, Zoom, Teams, things like that, where we're, we're going to things kind of in a, in a middle ground between we're not going full immersive, but we're also all where we, you know, at our houses, things like that. The tech really had not matured for a long time. I think Zoom was one of the ones that really started pushing the needle on this. But even Zoom's capabilities, we just saw how many holes there were in it when COVID hit. And I think this was largely the result of, I don't think until 2020, anybody really fully believed, or there were very few of us, that really thought virtual could be just as good or or better in some ways than you know, what we were doing in person and COVID just blew that up, right? Just completely blew the lid off that thing. And so the tech suddenly had to catch up super fast. I mean, if you look at what Teams, Zoom, you know, all, all these tools have had to do overnight, it's been massive. And so I think they're moving in the right direction. I think that opportunity gap is closing because there is still only so much you can do virtually, but I still feel like um, th there's some opportunity for this to get better. And again, there are a handful of tools or a handful of platforms out there that I've been working with, been talking to that I think are doing some interesting and creative things and help close this gap. But I still see tremendous opportunity because the reality is 
2021, like we're we're not going back. It's it's not going to change. If anybody saw the announcement from Microsoft, right, a, a large portion of their workforce is never going to go back to the office. That is going to be a trend that we are going to see continue to roll. And so, to me, as I look at virtual experience, knowing that that's a whole and the workforce is not going back, that to me, from a tech capability, is a huge opportunity area. Then the last one is immersive experience and support. And I want to really hit this one home because, you know, while it's advanced tremendously, we've seen massive advancements in the hardware and the software. A lot of, a lot of, won't say everything, but a lot of what I'm seeing happen as people are doing immersive, immersive experiences and things like that is we're, we're kind of falling into this trend that we fell into when we started moving things from the classroom to e-learning or from the classroom to virtual, right? We, we took what we did before and we just kind of plunked it into the new tech, right? We said, well, we were doing this and now we have to make it an e-learning. So like, we'll just shift it over here. And that is a little bit of a concerning trend that I'm seeing with immersive experience and support. And some of it is, right, to be fair, some of this is the tech capability. Right now, a lot of there there hasn't historically, at least in our industry, been a lot of investments made in platforms, software, hardware that we can use. So, so we have been limited to kind of what's available. But I think what that's led to is a lot of people are making this shift to just kind of plink things over into, you know, the digital virtual world. And I think there's massive opportunity. If, if anywhere in the whole space right now, if there's anywhere we can truly reimagine the possibilities of what we've done, immersive experience and support is the biggest, right? This is where we can say, who cares what we did? Who cares? It does not matter. Like, who cares? Let's rethink the rules. Let's throw out the rules and let's rewrite the rules. And so that is going to require investment from tech. Right. Tech is going to have to invest in that. And I'm already seeing that happen. So from a trend standpoint, you want to look at where the dollars are going. A lot of dollars are pouring into immersive experience and support. And so that's encouraging because I think that's going to open up doors. We're seeing more platforms, even pragmatic ones like Facebook's Horizon or Microsoft's Altspace. Some of these just places where you might say, well, isn't that just like a social thing? Yes, but we're social creatures. So why can't we recreate some of these experiences in the virtual world to give some of that same effect. But at the same time, I think we need to not stop there and just think, well, how do we take this one opportunity and move it from here to here? So again, these are the ones that if I were to kind of, if I were in charge of the tech industry and say, hey, where do we need to be focusing our emphasis? I would say these five to me in the last 12 months, despite all the advancements, these seem to be moving a little bit slower than I think they, they need to. Uh, so the question, I completely missed this one. So I'm actually going to go back to this. Do I know any examples of someone addressing meaningful skill development with success? <clears throat> My answer to that is yes. Uh, I think the challenge that we have, and, and I'll maybe give some additional context around this, is the scale of it, right? This is This is, I think, where we've struggled with this. So when I look at skill development, there have been people doing this well for a while. So if I look at industry practitioners, there are people that have been doing this well for a while. You know, there are these very robust, very targeted programs that are designed to help grow people. It's a mix of content, experience, feedback, coaching, right? You look at all those different things. Uh, it's been a mix of those. 
I think the challenge that we've run into is that has been very difficult to scale. So the examples where I see people doing skill development really well, it's not scalable, right? It's just not scalable. It's like that works great for this little cohort of people that you run once a quarter that costs you an arm and a leg and it works if everybody's in the same location. That falls apart when you start trying to scale at a global level. And that's why it's one of my biggest tech opportunities is it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't, right? I look at some of the different solutions out there and yeah, okay, I mean, I could sit and, and architect a bunch of those together to pull that together, but I don't know that I'm seeing a lot of those come together with all that detail all rolled into one. So I think that's where your short answer is yes, people are doing this well. And I think this is where sometimes in our industry, we kind of beat up on each other a little more than we need to. We've, we've been developing skills. We've been doing this stuff. I think the challenge is what we've been limited to, and this was largely the result of the tech, is we were limited to what we could do. And so I think now where the opportunity for the tech companies to help us with that is say, look, you guys have done a great job with the automation of this, the personalization of this, right? You're making our jobs easier in this, but but we need your help to actually help get the development, the actual experience piece off the ground so that we don't end up with a bunch of people who have a ton of head knowledge, think they know a bunch of things, but when it actually comes to it, um, can't actually put those, those development skills into practice. Okay, I am going to go to the last one here uh, and, and close out on this. And then again, I will answer questions if, if more come in. Um, again, I'm also happy to pivot because I know I actually, as soon as I made this thing, <laughs> like, oh shoot, I forgot about this. Actually, I would add this. But the problem is I didn't want to do an eight hour live stream where I ended up talking through all of these things. Um, oh yeah, okay, clarification. Thanks for the clarification, Rudy. Measuring skills. Okay, hang on here. I wish I had the slide. I actually wish I had the slide to show you this. So let me give you an example of this. And, and my answer to this is yes. And I know because I've been doing some of these things um, for a bit is when it comes to the measuring skills, there's, there's kind of a three-step process that I've used over the years to kind of get us to this, right? One is, one is kind of what's the goal, right? What are we trying to get to? Then we break that down. We have to deconstruct that down. And this is more of a process thing than is anybody doing it. I mean, I'm sure there are, but I'm just saying this is how the process I've approached it by. And it's actually worked very well. Is to say, this is the goal. Okay, fine. This is the high level business goal. We need whatever. People, people are this way. We don't want them to be this way. Then kind of what does that outcome look like? Well, okay, what are the situations where we actually want that to happen? Right. And this is this is a fairly detailed process. It's much more complicated than I'm laying it out, but right. Breaking that down into, okay, where do we want those goals to be played out? Like, what are the situations? What are people doing? And this goes back to actually understanding what's happening in the workforce um, and breaking that down. And then from there actually getting into, so what do the actual behaviors look like? And when you get to that level of granularity, and I've done this in a number of different situations, then getting back to measuring skill development becomes a yes. You can absolutely do it. You can quantify it. You can prove it. You can show a continuum of how people are moving because you've actually broken it down to the behavioral level. And this is this is getting granular. This is not saying super general behaviors like communication, right? That That's going to be tough. But if you can actually break communication down into 
right? Active listening. If you can break it down into acting, asking open-ended questions, right? These very granular behaviors, then the answer is yes. Uh, and, and I've on multiple occasions been part of initiatives where we've done that and been able to say, we've moved the workforce from being this to this at the behavioral level. And when you can do that, that now becomes a partnership between you and the business leaders because they can help you identify, right? What are those key behaviors? You can do it, you can measure it. And now you can say, all right, these, right, this group of people is now doing that. So I will say it's a lot of, it's, it's not easy. You don't just, you know, do it overnight. Um, and it does take some focus, but it can. And yes. So are people doing it? Yes. I don't, I won't pretend that I've mastered it. Um, but I think the work that I've done, the work my teams have done, we've really focused on that, right? How do we break it down to these granular behaviors so that then we can actually measure and then we can develop and track against that. And I will say that's also why I have skill development as a tech opportunity. I have struggled to have tech that actually is doing that well, right? We've had to do a lot of this stuff manually. And I think that's where um, the ability to do that more automated and and more dynamically at scale would be, would be a huge help for me personally. Um, and I think it'd be a huge help for the industry. Okay. Uh, all right, let me answer this question, then I'll close. I'll go to my last one here. So, Robert, without a fundamental restructuring of L&D's data architecture, we will never achieve skill measurement. What are the biggest challenges for closing this gap? Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so, so let me do this, because this is where, okay, so I'll answer this with one of the biggest things that I see is a lot of times this actually can can shut us down, right? Because we can look at our massive tech ecosystem, especially if you're in large or, or organizations and feel like it's just, we're too far gone, right? We're too far gone. There's no, there's no dialing this back. Personally, I think, and, and this is where I've done this work and then actually kind of had to expand it, is we have to not try and solve it all at once, right? What you're getting at is true. Yes, fundamentally, we have to restructure our entire data and system architecture, but we can't do that all at once or the whole thing will implode. And I think that's one of the things that we have to be really careful of, right? And, and that's one of the risks that I see with all this new tech coming out is people are seeing all these things going, we need that and that and that and that and that. And wow, we don't have any of this. And I think the problem with that is we get overwhelmed and then, and then we just shut down. So I think there's the actual solution to this is going back to this one, right? Where are your biggest opportunity points, right? Where are your biggest opportunity points? Because while the systems and the data are all connected, one trend that I will say is growing that I think is much needed is they are much easier to decouple than they have been historically. Right before we were in the situation where we've created these architecture systems and we're like, oh great, we can't we can't decouple this. We're now at a point where a lot of these things can we can plug them in and plug them back out. And so I think that the best way to approach this is to say, what are the biggest challenges we're trying to solve for? Right, maybe at an enterprise and a functional level, and then how do we target? the small solutions we can bring in that can have the biggest impact. Cause then that can help drive your, your broader architecture changes. Cause you're not going to, right. You're not going to shut down your entire system architecture in a, a global 
organization overnight. That's going to take time. So you're going to have to make smart, strategic, surgical decisions here and there. And then as you start bringing in these new capabilities, you can start turning them off. And I think the other thing a lot of people will find, we've got a lot of tech that we are not putting to work that we can probably just shut down, right? We, we can shut down a lot of things. So I think starting small and scaling is probably the best answer that I would have for that. Okay. So then this gets to you, right? What, what, what do you, what can you do today? And this, again, this is life according to Christopher. So take it for what it's worth, but there are three big things that I think have tremendous potential to help us work our way through it. Um, you know, the first one is I get this one, right. And I completely understand it. It is this fear mentality, right? We're fighting against this new way of doing things. It's, it's disruptive. It's not what we're familiar with. There's a lot of, uh, our identities have been challenged in many ways. Right. And I, and I've, I grew up in the space. I've been in every role that exists in L and D. I know what it's like to wonder like, well, what happens if we no longer do that? Right. What if we don't have in-person training anymore? Am I relevant? The answer is yes. But I think that's where that fear is actually limiting us from being able to make moves forward, right? We're, we're afraid to move forward because we're afraid of what, what role do we have in this? And, um, and so I think this is one of the biggest fundamental mindset shifts is saying, let's, let's actually dial this back, right? Let's dial this back and stop tying our identity to the activities we're doing and dial our identity into the capabilities that we bring, right? And as a very high level example, I'll give you a training specialist. I just had this conversation the other day um, about, you know, well, what, what's the role of a training specialist in a world where we never go back to classroom training? Well, that training specialist right now has the opportunity to use the skills, right? If you identify yourself with the activities you did, which was standing in front of a classroom somewhere, facilitating a PowerPoint, yeah, okay, I can see why you might be terrified because that that may never come back. But if you actually dial that down and say, well, what skills and capabilities was I actually putting into play? Well, you know, my ability to, you know, interact with people, my ability to read insights from a dynamic group of people and pull those threads, things like that, you can start to say, okay, well, how do those skills translate? Well, those skills translate to things like a learning business partner. Those skills translate to, you know, an actual experience facilitator, things like that, right? There's new opportunity. The activities look different. So when I hear this fear factor start creeping in, for me, my encouragement always when people are having this struggle shifting this mindset is to take the time to actually dial down and figure out what are the capabilities that you're actually putting in to the work you're doing versus getting too hung up on the actual work you're doing. So that's number one. Number two is we have to take our personal development seriously, right? I mean, this is, uh, and I don't remember who I was talking about with this the other day. We were talking about, especially here in the U.S., this is not just part of our our. our lifeblood, our culture. We just, ongoing development is kind of not necessarily our go-to, but it needs to be because the reality is there is no getting caught up, right? Even this, by the time I finished hitting live on this, this is going to be outdated. So that reality is something that means we have to keep pushing our skills. And again, I think we've seen this in COVID. I don't know if anybody else can relate, but I know I can, right? People start looking to us because we're the ones saying, hey, you're, you're the skill development group, right? You're the group responsible for that. And if we're not doing that, we're not leading by the example we should be setting for the organization. And so it's not only, it's not only a, hey, we have to do this, 
to stay current. But also as leaders, we need to be modeling what we want to see in others. And I think this is one where it's easy, right? We get caught up in things and, you know, we tell everybody else how they should be developing and we, we focus on everybody else's development journeys, but we're not necessarily putting in that same effort and emphasis. Now there's not one way to do it, right? So I'm not going to say you need to go sign up for this and take this class. No, but I do think there needs to be an intentional effort on our part because there is no end to our development journey and 2020 only vastly exposed that. So that's number two. And then number three is don't, in 2020 to me highlighted this one big time. Don't wait until you have to change. Do not, right? We had a bit of a rough year <laughs> to say the least. We had a bit of a rough year and that's fine. We got beat up. We, we took some punches and that's okay. Don't wait for another 2020 to start these changes, right? We, we had this discussion around, right, system architecture. How do we do some of this stuff? How do we start thinking about this tech? Don't wait until your business leader comes to you and forces you to do it or till there's the next global pandemic or till there's something else that forces you to do it. You can get in front of this stuff. Um, you can get to a point where you can be proactive. You can be, you know, in front of what's happening. Um, but it's about taking taking steps and taking direct action. So those would be the three things. Again, I'm always about trying to think about what's something that's very pragmatic that you can go do today. So, I mean, the mindset shift, get over the fear. The activity I would say is break down the break down the activities, get past the activity. The two, it's not hard to develop a personalized development journey. We all know how to do them. We've been doing it for everybody else for our entire careers. Do it for yourself, right? Do it for yourself. And then don't wait. If there's something you're sitting on going, ah, you know what? We really should do this. Or we've been meaning to, to transition this or move this. Stop waiting. Stop waiting. Make it a priority and go. And I think if, if we can get better at these three, I think we're going to be in a much better spot. I think the tech has done massive things to help us. I think it's only going to do more. And uh, I'm looking forward to, <laughs> I'm looking forward to 2021, <laughs> but uh, hopefully everybody else is too. And uh, hopefully this was helpful. I've actually put together an infographic just summarizing this. I will share this. This is also going to be live replayed um, and I'll put it up on the Learning Sharks blog. More to come from me uh, over the next coming months here with some other things that are coming down the pipe. And uh, hopefully this was helpful. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of your Tuesday. And uh, we will see you on Friday where I'm talking with Kelly from Hitch. So speaking of the talent marketplace stuff, uh, they're going to be, Kelly's going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about what that means, what that looks like, uh, and how that's going to change our industry going into that skill development, skill measurement. So have a great rest of your afternoon, everyone. And we'll see you soon.